Good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. It's interesting. The meaning of kind of extended increments here. Everybody always looks a week older when I see them. We don't see anybody in between hardly do. Especially the children, they get bigger and bigger really quick. Thank you, Joe. That was a good story. That was uh, a true story and a good lesson for us. Today's uh, sermon, as we call it that, is a story again. Um, kind of comes as a result of an extension of last week's children's class. I talked a little about Mary and her freezer. And I talked about, we looked at that verse in First, uh, in First Peter 5 that says, Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you, if you remember that. And I was struck with that chapter read a number of times, and I was struck with how much the word humility is used in that same chapter. So I'm thinking, how does that and not worrying and um, how does humility and casting your care on Jesus fit together um, on God? So I'm starting to see that humility is a faith choice that we make. It's an important part of voluntarily submitting our will to God. Uh, submitting to God's will and His plan for our lives. So what we do is acknowledge that we are who we are and God is who He is. He's sovereign. And our position before God needs to be a place of humility. True humility affects how we look at each other and at God. So I'll read that passage from First Peter, and then I'm going to use a, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament and see a story there that I think illustrates a man that was humble, and because he was humble, he could submit to God's plan, knowing that God was really in charge, and he would be better for it in the end. In other words, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. Peter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, the younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So the goal that I have this morning is to encourage us in choosing to be humble, choosing to accept the reality of who we are and who God is as we look around us at our, at our circumstances. And our circumstances really involve people, although there are usually people all around us too. God is in charge of what happens in our lives. And then we want to for patience too as we look at how to resolve life's issues. Okay, we're going to look at Isaac this morning, way back in Genesis. Now, Isaac doesn't get a lot of press in, in Genesis in the Bible. Uh, actually, the promise of his birth to Abraham and Sarah takes up a number of chapters, um, while his wife only takes up several pages uh, of his actual life. And, 
and what he had going on, and, and actually the finding of his wife takes up quite a bit of that space. So we don't really know a lot about how Isaac chose to do life, the way we say it now. But I'm impressed with a number of events in Isaac's life that I think speak well of him. Uh, the first one, I'll just look through some of these because of time. Um, the first one I noticed is his submission to his dad. Can you guess where? When he was carrying the wood. And as he went off to Mount Moriah to for eight for Isaac to be that sacrifice. Uh, he didn't really know what was going on, but he was big enough to carry the wood, so when it came time to make the altar, he let his dad put him on the altar, even if he had been big enough to carry the wood. So he was a, an older boy, at least maybe a teen, when that happened. So he was submissive there, even. Um, another thing we noticed is Isaac was out walking in the evening when Eliezer came back from hunting for a wife for him. He was out walking in the evening, praying and meditating. That's a good sign for a young man. He was a little older, maybe 40 years old when that happened, but he had a pattern of worshiping God. That's a good thing. Third thing was he was sensitive. Men all sometimes are not. He was a sensitive man. He really missed his mom. When Sarah passed away, and having this wife Rebecca help comfort him in his grief. And then it says that he was the one in Genesis uh, 25 21, Isaac was the one praying for children, praying for his wife. Uh, he prayed much for her because she was childless, childless and God is very prayer, they twins. And then, um, and there, you can pull some other things out here and there, but what I want to talk about this morning is the story of the wells. That may jog your memory. Um, that's the story we want to spend some time with. So here's our object lesson this morning for you to look at. Not very fancy, but wells are about water, okay? That's a glass of water. It's not anything else that's not spoiled or anything else, but it's for us to look at and think about. It is water that came from a well, and water is important to life. Water is the source of life. And in our story about Isaac and the patriarchs in general, we're really, really focused on wells. If you read through Genesis, you see wells popping up all over the place. Uh, not figure, not uh, not quite like an Archean well, but they were dug. But they are in the story, in the narrative, a number of places. So, southern Palestine, where Abraham had settled down, uh, even south of where Jerusalem is now, Abraham ended up settling there, and um, he dug a number of wells through southern southern Palestine. Um, one was the well that Hagar ran to when she left the first time. Um, she ran to a well because it was in the desert. She needed something to drink. She needed to live without water. The name of that well was Beer Laharoi. And it's, the name of that well was named meant a lot back then. The name of that well meant a well to the living one who seeth me. And that was important to her because it gave her life. 
Now, the angel told her to go back and submit for a while. And then Abraham reluctantly, later on, uh, after Isaac was mocked by Ishmael, and Sarah couldn't stand it anymore, and she told Abraham he had to send Hagar and Ishmael away. He did. Um, and they almost died at first. And the angel, God heard their cries and sent the angel of the Lord, and he saw them, and he pointed out to them that there was a well not far away, and that was a well in Bersheba. Um, there, again, B-E-R, that uh, prefix means well. So, Bersheba. And that well will pop up again, as well as the Bir Lahavoy that I told you about where Hagar went the first time. And there are other wells that Abraham apparently dug that we don't hear about until later in this story we're going to talk about this morning, where Isaac uh, has something to do with them. Bersheba, uh, that well means the well of the oath. And that's where Abraham and the king of the land, king of Bimelech, made a covenant with each other that Abraham gave him seven sheep, and uh, the point of the whole pact was to have Abimelech acknowledge that Abraham had dug this well. It was his well, his water, his land right around him. So the name of that well was the, the well of the oath, or the well of the covenant. And then we're going to move on to the, the story about Isaac, but we do want to remember another well way back in Mesopotamia where Eliezer Abraham started went back to find a wife for Isaac. And don't you know there was a well involved there? He camped out the well in the evening and watched the ladies coming out to draw water. And God used Rebecca getting water, offering to draw water for his camels even. That was commitment, wasn't it, to, I don't know how much cattle drink, but if they had to fill their hooks back up, they, um, they had to draw for a while, maybe. Anyway, on the way back, they got almost back to Hebron, I think. Um, who did they meet? But Isaac out walking in the evening, like we mentioned, he had just been down to the well near Laharoi. I don't know if it was uh, going back to... to with God or to make sure that God still was seeing him in his state of singlehood, that he was he was in line as a patriarch, that he had part in the covenant. He just had gotten back to the, to, uh, to Hebron from that well, and then here comes Eliezer in the camel train bringing Rebecca to be his wife. So, lots of interesting things about the wells. Uh, we want to now, where Isaac actually involved, Abraham is dead now. So Isaac is on his own. He's a man. He's making choices. And if you want to turn to it, you can go to chapter 26, and we're going to read the first eight verses now. This is from the NIV. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's family, remember Abraham went all down to Egypt because the promised land wasn't so special when he got there, was it? There was a famine then. Um, there was a famine in Palestine again, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Gerar figures into our story quite a bit. G-E-R-A-R, Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac, 
and said, Do not go down to Egypt like your dad did. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I'll be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions, as it was blessed because of his father being blessed. Okay, so to unpack that a little bit, there's a famine in the land where where Isaac comes to. Okay, uh, he was living in Hebron there, uh, so he, it looked like he needs to travel. Food was scarce, rainfall was non-existent, uh, opposed to Camel County, and he decides to travel south, which Typically, wouldn't make sense because the further south and east you go in Palestine, the drier it is. A lot of those parts are just desert. The media doesn't go down that way. And he travels down to Gerar to meet this new Abimelech. Well, apparently, maybe because this has been 90 years since Abraham made a covenant, probably with Abimelech the second day. Okay? Um, did Isaac wonder about the promise that God had made to Abraham? What about all the good things that Canaan was supposed to have for him? The, the land, the blessings, the descendants, and so forth. Well, in verses 2 to 6, we just read, God did renew the covenant that he made with Abraham of land, descendants, and then that offspring, Jesus, we believe, that offspring of the patriarchs, all the way down through history to Jesus, who would bless all the earth. So, Isaac does well. He starts out well in this, this being a man and choosing his course and charting his path. Um, he stayed in Gerar, just like God had suggested he never told him to do. To do. And so his humility there, I think, shows itself in him not second-guessing God's direction. Although he maybe wonders some over the next, however long the story we're talking about here that took the transfer. But we do know just one thing about Isaac. He doesn't just sit there and passively accept bad circumstances. He doesn't just say, well, it's a rough, a rough, and I'm here, and I'll just have to make the best of it. He actively works to better his circumstances. So, now I want to read the part where the story that we actually are working towards getting to uh, begins. Verse 12, we're going to start there and get to verse 17, I think, yeah. So, Isaac planted crops in that land, and in the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the town of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away and encamped in the valley of Gerar, 
Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar. Remember the guy that had just told him to leave not too long ago because he was too strong? He came up from Gerar to Beersheba to find, to find Isaac with Ahazah, his personal advisor, and Bacol, the commander of his forces. And Isaac asked him, Why did you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So he said, There ought to be a sort of agreement between us, between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but we always treated you well, and we sent you away peacefully. Was that true? Not really. And now you are blessed by the Lord. So I just made a feast for them. And they ate and drank. And early the next morning, the men swore out to each other. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. And that day, after Abimelech and his friends went away peacefully, the same day Isaac told his children about this other well they had dug, and they said, We have found water. And they called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. Which is the same name as the place that Abraham had dug apparently years before, where Hagar and Ishmael had gotten water that saved their lives. So this must have been another well that, as we see, the Philistines had filled in. Now, I've never dug a well. The closest I've done to that is helping Howard up in Canada. We drove a sand point down into the sand to get water. Uh, close to the lake. But digging a well is hard work, especially if you use a shovel. Back in those days, they didn't have air drill drilling machines that can drill a 300 foot well in a day. No, they used picks and shovels or whatever they had. Uh, Donna could tell us all about some wells back in Nigeria. Um, Digging wells is hard work. If the ground is soft and sandy, it's great, but you know, once you get down a few feet and the walls start caving in. And if it's hard rock or sandstone, the walls don't cave in, but it's mighty slow going, chipping away at the, at the rock. So, wells, digging wells is a tough job. How deep were these wells? Don't know about these. It doesn't tell us, but Jacob's well, remember, in Samaria when Jesus came to the well and there was a Samaritan woman there. They think they found that well and it's 135 feet deep. That was measured back in the early 20s. It's just a town like a basilica or some kind of a structure built on top. It's harder to measure, but from the level of the ground down to the bottom of the water is 135 feet. That's a deep well. In Guatemala, out in a place called Samatola Bay, just where that's at, in 1977, after the missionaries moved there, they dug a well. And they dug. And they dug, this is all by hand, no machines there, they had a couple men working, 325 feet through sandstone. And finally, seven months after they started, they got one, a little bit of water. And that is a very deep well. When you were at the bottom of that, you could just see a dot of light at the top. Well, I hope that Isaac Irving didn't have to dig that far because it would have taken a long time. I expect they were more in the 50 feet 
strange, maybe, I don't know that. But, remember, and I don't, under, I don't quite understand all of this, were all of Isaac's wells just redigs of the wells that Abraham had dug already? I haven't really been able to sort that out. Um, most of them got names that they had before. So I think at least uh, the, um, the well at Beersheba, probably the well down at, um, the ones down around the, the town there, the Gilar, uh, probably those were all redigs. We're not sure. But either way, digging a well or redigging a well is hard work. <clears throat> when you get done, you'd like some return on your investment, right? You'd like to put in the shade of a tamarisk tree. Like Abraham did, he planted a tamarisk tree at their seat after he dug the well there and lived long enough, hopefully, to sit under the tree and drink, drink fresh water from his well. Um, so, filling in a well is a very mean thing to do because it ruins it for everybody. And while redigging it might be a little bit easier, it's still pretty tough going. And it was hard to feel really good about the people that had put the dirt back in, right? Yeah. So, whether you dug it the first time or if you redug it, either way, you'd be sort of tempted to be grouchy if the folks in your neighborhood fought you for it, right? After you got it opened back up and got your first cup of water, and the neighbors show up and say, hey, this is ours. That's what happens. So the first well that he dug after Abimelech made him leave town, the people in the countryside there came and told Isaac he had to leave. This is really our water. We own this water. You just moved in here. This is our water. You've got to leave. And Isaac just left. He named the well, though. He said that well was named Contention. He said that was a contentious well, wasn't it? So he just sat in his tent and drank bottled water for the next 20 years and didn't bother doing anything else, right? No, he left. He didn't fight, but he kept digging, didn't he? He had some faithful servants. They went off. I sort of wonder if young Jacob and Esau didn't tell their dad, that's just not fair. We could fight for our rights and keep this water. So they moved on and dug another well. And it happened again, the same folks. They heard that Isaac had water over there at the next place, and they came over and said, Look, this is still our water. There's probably an aquifer that connects that first well to this well. We're sure this is still our water. You can't have it. You need to go. This is the last straw. Little Esau was probably ready to take his toy bow out to fight for her. Maybe Dad would trade the children's shovels for swords, and they'd chase them off, and they would just go there and drink their water. No, humble Isaac explains to his family that God was still in control of this circumstance, and he would let God deal with his injustice. And they moved on again and started digging again. 
such a struggle to really getting worn out, weren't they? Well, the third time it worked out better. The name of this well, I forgot to tell you, Sitna was the second well, which means enmity. There was some bad blood between the people of the land and Isaac. I don't think he reciprocated. I don't think he felt that way about them. So Rehoboth was the last well here, or the next well, I should say. Don't know if this well was harder to dig, or if it was deeper, or if the water tasted better. But water drinking, uh, water we drink in peace is much sweeter than water in contention, isn't it? Did Isaac faith waver as they sucked down the shaft? Did he wonder if he'd have to be looking for another spot to dig a well? We don't know, but. When we get to the end and they're drinking the first water, or maybe even a week or two later, when nobody had come to try to run them off, he named the well and he said, For now the Lord has made room for us. There's space for us here. We've got a well now. We've got some land. We've got some water. Life is good. God did it. God made room for us here. And then you know what he did? He left. He walked away from it. I don't know if this is significant or not, but about the next verse, he goes back up to Bersheba. It seems to me if I have dug a well, finally, after months of digging, and on the third well that I had a spot with some water, I could plant my cameras tree. I would want to camp there and stay there because that was my piece of property and I would keep everybody else away. Doesn't seem like that's Isaac's attitude, is it? He holds that well loosely and he walks away from it. He's not grasping and guarding his well. Since he accepted that well as a gift from God, he's able to say, God, you take care of it, I may be back. He's able to walk away and leave that to probably bless the other people in the land. So he goes back up to Beersheba, more of the ancestral home, Abraham's home, and he receives blessings there much greater than a well. Than a well. God comes to him again and renews the covenant. And so his connection with God is intact. What would happen if he would stay down at Ephraim or Sitna, the first well, or even Rehoboth? What if he would just camp down there when he finally was able to resist those country folks who want to run him off? He would probably miss out on God's real blessing. So he set up the Bathsheba, builds an altar, worships God first, pitches his tent, builds his house next. And then he gets to work, and don't you know, they dig another well. Now, I don't know. This is their season. So is this a fresh new well, or is it redigging a well that the Philistines have closed up with uh, Abraham's husband? Do you know that? So then what happens? Well, his old neighbors from Gerar, Abimelech and, and his friends, showed up to see him. So what are they coming for this time? He maybe sees them coming up the country road, and he wonders, 
And he asked them, uh, who are you looking for since you sent me away with and hated me? And um, they said, no, nothing like that. We actually have noticed that God has blessed you. So they, they come up there with the idea of making peace with this man of peace and making a, a covenant with him that this land is his. God has given him this land. And the end is a happy one. Isaac has peace with his countrymen. He has peace with God. And he has his water. He has what he needs. Well, I want to wrap this up. What do we learn from the story? What was Isaac digging for? Is one question we can ask. Beyond the water was his relationship with God himself. And the effort that Isaac was putting into life was about finding the source of life. Not just water, but being engaged in actively seeking God. We know that the source of life is Jesus. Isaac teaches us that life circumstances, while they can be difficult, are under the sovereignty of God. So, and when difficult things come, let's not react against the mere humans who appear to be running things. God has a bigger thing going on. And I want to emphasize that Isaac's response should not be taken as a passive one. I can't change anything, come what may, kind of response. When God allowed hard things to happen, Isaac kept on digging. He kept on doing what he could, looking for the source of life. So going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, Humility before God and man is a faith response to God's sovereignty. God is in control. I'll continually, I'll continue to humbly pursue Him and peace with my fellow man. And I'll close with those two verses from First Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you.